This is the Weekly Bull and Bear by WealthFest, a podcast for financial professionals. Each week, Drew Dockin and Tim Prady will have an in-depth conversation on what's happening in the markets. Hello, everybody. We are on the week of Thanksgiving, it's the morning of the 21st. Right now, the market's gone down slightly, largely due to retail being pretty weak in October. We've seen some numbers from Lowe's, Best Buy's, uh, they've dipped. And additionally, existing home sales in October were 14.6% lower than they were a year earlier. Uh, in terms of rates, you know, we could be thinking Sam Stovall, chief investment strategist, came out and said that when the Fed starts telegraphing Fed funds rates, the average has been about 11 months from the last rate hike to the first cut. So we've got some runway left. Um, but yeah, Tim, let's talk about, you know, what's going on. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that the way you framed it is the right way to think about it. It is how weak is the economy going to be? And what does that mean for earnings growth and earnings numbers in the out year? We're talking about equities. And what's the 10-year going to be? Well, right now, the 10-year is reflecting weaker growth. Right. It's, it's been very clear that after having a surprisingly strong third quarter, that there has been meaningful slowdown in economic activity going into October. Now, most of the re remember, the retailers are reporting now because they're off calendar. So we got all the third quarter reporting done sort of a month ago. And now you get the retail reporting. And Lowe's is really at the heart of the of where you see the most economic weakness here. It's, it's lows where you see the manifestations of the uh, slowdown in existing home activity uh, where, you know, we got existing home activity today. It was abysmal. Uh, it continues to be very slow. I continue to think we're towards the end uh, of this housing cycle, not saying that housing is going to slow from here. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm not saying that prices are going to roll over from here because there's still no uh, inventory, the inventory grew a little bit. Um, but the issue is that uh, you have tons of completions in the new home and in the, especially in the multifamily. And we're going to see what absorptions look like because we know that demand, when, when NAHB sentiment looks like it does, demand falls off. Francois Trahan, who's a great economist I've been following from years, way back from when he was the chief economist at Bear Stearns and then at ISI. And he's got a really compelling chart. If you look at it on LinkedIn, he posted it the other day, which shows the correlation, the lagged correlation between NHB sentiment and employment. And it's very, very tightly correlated. And what you have is NHB sentiment rolling over hard. Uh, and you are buried now just beginning to see rises in unemployment. So I think that will hold again. I think that this housing market stays stronger than historically, certainly stronger than 08. Nobody making that comparison. Um, but, I, but I think it's a very important thing to think about when you look at, well, what makes this economy crack from here? I think the, the, where I end up being continuously more bearish than others uh, is that I think that housing does weaken. And I think that the employment situation is so secularly tight, it stays too tight for the Fed to come to the rescue and really start cutting rates aggressively. We are still running north of 5% wage growth. The Fed is not done. The Fed is not cutting rates when we have 5.2% wage growth, according to the Atlanta Fed wage growth tracker, 
and the NFIB is saying that our number one issue is we can't find uh, pe- uh, people with any skills. So uh, that's my two cents on on kind of where I'm thinking about things overall. Yeah, I mean, we've seen a drawdown in, in retail, uh, home building. When we come into 24, what do you think this means for the Magnificent Seven and tech? You've seen Jeff Bezos has been offloading shares quite rapidly recently. Um, we had a very interesting development with Microsoft, to say the least. Sam Altman uh, was ousted of open from OpenAI, and then they had three CEOs in three days and now Altman's joining Microsoft and 500 right. people working for OpenAI are looking to make the jump too. So, yeah. you know, the tech world is 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 yeah. very interesting right now. Yeah. I mean, I hate to talk about the Magnificent Seven as one monolith, right? Because right. they are such different yeah. companies. Amazon is a monster. It's going to continue to be a monster. As long as there's really no antitrust laws that get enforced in this country, Amazon will continue to be... Uh, the 800-pound gorilla that just eats all the competition. Um, Microsoft is an incredible company. Don't forget, Microsoft was a zero-growth company for a long time, and then the cloud came. They executed incredibly well on the cloud, and that has driven almost all uh, of their growth. Uh, We'll see what happens on the AI side. Don't forget, there are other companies in the AI space that are announcing layoffs uh, this week, you know, there's a lot more hype than people who can help me understand exactly how my local restaurant, my local mortician, my local construction company, whatever, is going to not need that many employees because of AI. Um, but the thing with the Magnificent Seven is that where they are similar is their market caps. And I've been really intrigued lately in trying to understand what is going on with all of the performance going to the Magnificent Seven. The market weight S&P is outperforming the equal weighted S&P by about 16% this year. That is almost three times greater than any previous uh, example of the market weighted S&P outperforming the equal weighted S&P. The IWM is languishing. Mid caps and small caps are down for the year as the Magnificent Seven is up whatever 90 or, or so percent. There are market distortions happening because of passive flows, index flows, uh, target date funds, vol control, whatever you want to call it, where all of the liquidity, all of those that passive money is getting sucked up by the biggest market caps. It's almost self-fulfilling. If you've got a three trillion dollar market cap, you're gonna like Microsoft or like Apple does, you're gonna get that much more in terms of flows. The fact that revenue is now a non-revenue growth company, the fact that that, that Apple has incredible exposure to China, both in its supply chain and on demand, is kind of irrelevant. The flows are what they are. But remember, in the short term, the market is a voting machine. In the longer term, it's a weighing machine. And I think that means that you have risk. If you are, you have more risk than you should incur with equity exposure. If all you're doing is is piling into passive flows, index funds that own the S and P, because you own some incredibly expensive names that are are, in my opinion, um, in a, it's an inefficiency uh, that is happening that is driving up these valuations. Yeah, I mean, we talk about wealth bifurcation all the time, but market cap bifurcation is 
is, is sure. becoming increasingly prevalent. I mean, the conversation about lack of breath has started in 2014, and I think it's really been only increasing uh, since then. You know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean, it, just look at active management. When was the last time you went to a conference and there was a hot new mutual fund <laughs> that was getting yeah, shared? Right, right. You know, yeah. a, a lot of guys who run mid cap and small cap funds. Or what if they're? What about cross asset? None of that. None of that stuff has any growth. The only growth is passive instruments. No, and I feel like you're hearing some of the same stories too. I mean, I remember I went to a lunch and learn. I forget the fund cares Kiro or Janice. It doesn't matter, but it was talking about consumer staples and just hundreds of millions of Indians um, are joining the middle class and you're going to see like a lot of Colgate sales and stuff as they use toothbrushes yeah. and just none of yeah. it's really panned out. But then you consistently see the same narratives like 10 years later. Right. And it's just all recycled and rehashed. And um, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's interesting. And same active management. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it just makes the fundamentals secondary. And and if yeah. you're a mid cap or a small cap company that has a misstep fundamentally, you are in the penalty box and there's just no life. I mean, there are really it, shockingly cheap names to me when I look at mid cap and small cap world. And there's just it, it's all it's as if there's no catalysts. It doesn't matter what the quarter looks like. If, if you're not in the tech sector, if you're not a large cap, nobody really cares. You have to do something right. extraordinary. Uh, to break away from just whatever the whatever that mid cap small cap index that you're in is going to do. Yep. Um, we saw U.S. crudes hit bear markets dramatically. Uh, this past week was down 22 percent from September highs. Uh, you know, we're settling at 72.90 a barrel. Um, so, you know, is we we talk about this every week, but it seems like we're hitting new lows. And part of that is, I mean, we've seen lower demand and then some excess supply, but I mean, yeah. we still have conflicts that are unabated. So, I mean, yeah. I wonder if, if like the hostage situation gets taken care of and if mm -hmm. they have some kind of finalization, um, if, if it can, has even lowered a drop. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Oil is one of those where, it's like, not only is it hard to predict, it's hard to even explain what already happened. Like, yeah. there are a lot of people who are looking at the physical oil markets, and yet gasoline uh, has gotten oversupplied in the United States, but distillate is still tight. Generally, distillate supply is the bigger driver uh, of oil prices. Um, Non-OEC demand remains strong. Um, it, look, it's, it's certainly very clear that Russia is selling all that they want to sell and there really have been no caps put in place. India and China are absorbing uh, all that oil. Iran is above quota, Venezuela is above quota. So, so all of those guys have been cheating. I feel like I say the same thing, they can't cheat forever. Right. Uh, the production of oil requires reinvestment uh, and I don't think you're, you likely have adequate reinvestment in those places, but Look, my argument for being an oil bull is that it's all about uh, emerging market, um, developing market, India, Indonesia, uh, Malaysia's, the Vietnam's of the world that are going to continue to consume more oil uh, than we think, even as the U.S. Uh, and the Europeans 
probably do uh, a better job of of consuming less oil. But overall, oil demand is going higher. Now, I've made the argument that the Saudis have never made pricing power before, not my quote, but it's true. Um, And I think that is going to continue to be the case. Um, I think that uh, the Saudis, you have another OPEC meeting coming up here, and we'll see just how aggressive the Saudis want to be in both maybe adding or extending their production cuts or trying to create some enforcement within OPEC and OPEC plus uh, on on keeping some of those uh, other players uh, production in line as well. Yeah, I mean, emerging market demand, you know, will, will remain unabated, um, especially when you've seen some of the GDP numbers out of, um, you know, India and, yeah. and, and Vietnam and everything else. Right now, I'd like to bring the conversation. Ray Dalio said where debt is now at an inflection point. He said that on Squawk Box. He says that a lot, though. But we've seen India and Egypt join kind of the de-dollarization movement um, recently. So, and that's, I mean, India's part of BRICS, and then they've all kind of gone that way. But Egypt is uh, is new. So, you know, we've got South Africa has been kind of on de-dollarizing, uh, Russia, obviously, and then China. Um are increasingly less right. interested in holding U.S. debt. Yeah, look, yeah. I, I we we just put out that white paper about the problems of U.S. debt, the issues of populism in the United States, the inability of Congress um, to be a uh, a good financial steward. Um, but the U.S. is still the T bill in U.S. dollars is still the risk-free asset. It is going to continue to be the risk-free asset. And South Africa and Egypt can try to de-dollarize all they want. Uh, are they going to hold, what are they? What are, what are those central banks going to do? Are they, do they want to own more euros? Do they want to own more uh, yuan? Uh, do they want to own more reais? Like, no, they're not going to. When, uh, when, when we go into more difficult markets and we have much of the world going into recession here, right? Germany's in recession. Europe is right on borderline recession. The UK is in recession. China is in recession. The the closest trading partners with China, by definition, are going to be uh, in recession. Um, you know, what's going to happen when, when we have some real volatility globally uh, in markets? Yeah. You're going to see I mean, people go to the dollar. Right. I mean, we just broached this conversation with the Chinese recently in San Francisco, along with other things. I mean, how do you think those talks went? I think the fact that we're talking in the first place is good. Uh, it's crazy to see San Francisco was able to finish their homeless population in two and a half days uh, due to embarrassment. But um, but yeah, I mean, I think overall we'll see what comes of it. But the fact that we had some kind of detente and that we had some kind of negotiations is good in the first place. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think anybody would disagree with talking is better than non-talking. Yeah. Right. But I also don't think anybody comes away from that summit saying Xi is that is going to change how Xi looks towards Taiwan. Right. I mean, from 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 everything that I've read, Xi's main goal is to keep reminding the United States that this is our sphere of influence and you have nothing to do with it and you shouldn't get involved. And, you know, the United States officials come out and they say um, that we, you know, we do not support an independent Taiwan. That doesn't mean that they want to see a, you know, a, blo- a blockade or whatever. But, you know, we still are um, 
you know, we still are saying the things that G wants us to say to some degree in terms of how we view uh, a separatist uh, or an integrated uh, Taiwan. You know, China's got its own special economic issue right now. Like they are trying to curb money flows. Like foreign direct investment has collapsed. People are trying to get their yuan into dollars. So they are in the position of having to actually increase short-term rates to hold money in the country uh, while the recession deepens. And there is no answer for the property sector in tier two and tier three cities in China. I feel like I say that uh, every week, but it's true. You're just not going to reinstill confidence um, in a residential real estate system that was really driven by the greater fool theory of non-cash flowing property selling for higher and higher prices. Empty lots are going to ultimately sell for what that empty lot can cash flow. Yeah. I mean, yes, uh, China, China's got some massive, massive structural issues, uh, both in terms of property and demographics. I mean, in, in terms of the negotiations, they obviously brought up fentanyl. There's issues, tr trade issues. I, I feel like China and the U.S. have done a good job over the last 50 years of there's always been a Taiwan impasse, but they've always found ways to kind of talk around it and, you know, massage the language. And uh, I mean, either side really goes full bore on what they want. Yeah. 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 But we'll see. You know, yeah. if, if the economic miracle of China is, uh, you know, past its pinnacle. Uh, we've talked about this a lot, you know, the 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 hot zone and the Hal Brands book and like, mm -hmm. <clears throat> what do dictators do when they get their back against a wall? They've got real unhappiness at home. How do you create a little bit of 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 country spirit nationalism? Well, best thing to do is start a war. Right. And yeah. you know, the Jeep has made it very very clear what his intentions are in Taiwan, and I don't think uh, that's changed. No. And that question, do you think Xi's a dictator to Biden was, you know, one of the dumbest, but also layup questions that could have been asked because <clears throat> yeah. you're just you're just looking for some drama here. I mean, what's he going to say? What what would an alternate answer be? You know, I, it's not a question I would have asked. <laughs> yeah, by any means. Um, sounds good, Tim. Anything we overlooked this week? No, I think that uh, I think that's everything. Drew, you have a great Thanksgiving out there. Yep, likewise. And to all our listeners and subscribers, have a great Thanksgiving as well. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WellFest. The mere appearance of content on the site does not constitute an endorsement by WellFest. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. WellFest does not make any representation or warranties with respect to the accuracy, applicability, fitness, or completeness of the content. WealthFest does not warrant the performance, effectiveness, or applicability of any sites listed or linked to any of the contents. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Investment and investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal.